I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Tuesday, let's see, September 8th, 2020, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I do not have another job. I'm from CBS Sports, and the gentleman on the other side of the screen is also from CBS Sports. He's the conspiracy to my theory. He's the apathy to my self-titled. It's the one and only Brian Campbell. Brian, did you even get that last reference? Uh, I, I might have. I might have. Uh, Luke, welcome back. Great to see you. Great to hear from you. We are live this week. Thank you. Uh, by the way, shout out to uh, to the late boxing judge Chuck Jampa. You had a Chuck Jampa moment last week. Chuck, we're live. Let's take us inside the mind of a judge there. I don't know if you got that boxing reference, but we're back at it. Uh, we're fired up. You may be a part of my greater company, but we have yet, Luke, to launch, if you know what I mean. We have yet to really take this thing full-time, every day, all day. All right? All right? It's getting there. We're close. It's worth pointing out. It's worth pointing out. I had people hit me up after last week's episode being like, hey, how come you guys aren't five days a week or whatever this uh, past week? Well, uh, we're taking our time to get going. So I think by the end of this month, we will have a much more robust schedule for you guys to hang your hat on. But for this week and probably next week, it'll be a little bit more to what you've been accustomed to. we got to take our time to do this right, BC, as I'm sure you would have well Yeah, I mean, look, let's, let's, can we remove that fourth wall, Luke? You you know, you do what, you did what most people do. You get a new job, you announce it, you make a big splash, and the first thing you say to your new employers are, hey, think about going on vacation next week. Is that cool with you guys? Yes, uh, I did do that, although I've never actually done that before. That was a first time for me. But I'm taking a short staycation. I'm not really going to go anywhere. It's just if I didn't do anything, I would have had no vacation this year whatsoever. And so my wife was like, we have to take at least one week. So we're going to take one week. But but the week of the Charlo doubleheader pay-per-view on Showtime, uh, we are going to be large and in charge and uh, doing a lot of stuff that week, it appears. So yeah, no get promises, fired up because no that's also but... Adesanya Costa fight week. So uh, yeah. you're going to be getting a lot of MK in your ear hole, in your eye hole. Uh, Luke, you're going to penetrate anywhere else? You can do that because that week we're coming. All right, we're coming. All right. So yes. as all, as always, HR. please give the video. Yes, please give the video a thumbs up. Hit that subscribe button right there. Lots of reasons to do that. Uh, if you want some merch, you can do that as well. Go to store.show.com. We have our own Morning Combat merch now with our own graphics, our own page. It's very, very nice. You guys have been extremely supportive of that. So please keep that up. The more you buy that, the more different things we can do with it. So keep that in mind. And then uh, also, if you'd like to try Showtime, because by the way, why wouldn't you? You can go to Showtime.com right now. You can try it for 30 days for free. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. And uh, But this one, BC, it's free. Gratis up in this piece for Morning Combat. Yeah, look, MK is about to absolutely blow up. Get on board. 
uh, you know, help out our people here on Showtime and buy that merch. By the way, it fits so well, Luke. My dad turned 65 over the weekend and uh, he was gifted by one of his friends with that black no hood MK sweatshirt. He's already loving it here. I meant to tell you, do you know my dad texted me on Monday? No. no. Ready? He goes, where can I watch your new show? (laughs) All right. All right. It's 3 a.m. Rob Thomas, no longer lonely. I love this. Yeah. I was like, I was like, well, that's progress. I mean, that's progress. All right. Luke, Uh, you have that brother, the former restaurant owner too. What's that guy's name? Matt. Full disclosure, ahead of your birthday, I slid into Maddie's Instagram DMs, was trying to full-on Bin Laden you, was trying to Sodom your Hussein and, uh, you know, get some old-school Thomas Family gold. That guy straight up ghosted me. Yeah, that sounds exactly like my brother. If we were Uday and Kusei, which one would you be? I'm not, I don't get that reference. It's a Lyle and Eric thing. No, it was Saddam's, have... Saddam's two uh, fail sons, Uday oh, and Kusei. Okay, thank you, thank you. Sorry, I'm not all as right. wor- you know world cultured as you. I didn't grow up in Doha. All right, thank you. I can tell. Uh, all right, well that in mind, let's get this party started. A lot to react to from the weekend, a uh, a UFC show that almost didn't happen, but more than just that. However, we start there. Now we're not going to focus on the COVID protocol for that because that's not what I want to focus on. We're going to focus in on, instead, the heavyweight main event. Alistair Overeem getting a win uh, over a top 10 ranked contender in Augusto Sakai, and he had to kind of earn it, BC. First couple of rounds, Sakai, very patient. This fight ended up being kind of sneaky good, but in the end, Overeem gets the win with a fifth-round TKO. Absolutely vicious ground and pound on top. Okay. First question, before we get to some of the larger implications, is this the kind of win that tells you he is actually capable of another title run? It is. It is, Luke. 100%. This is four wins out of his last five fights. I know right now the heavyweight division is deeper than it's been in a while. It's a little bit sexy at the moment. Yet at that same time, you can be older. You can reinvent yourself. You're really always two to three good wins from getting right back in there. Well, he's got four wins in five fights. And oh, by the way, that fifth fight was that knockout loss to Rosenstruck in which he was pretty much winning for four and three-quarter rounds. He's 40 years old. He is a man. Come after him. But I did talk to him last week, and I like his perspective. He knows he's, quote, too old for this game now, or so he says. So he's in the midst of what he's calling this last run, going all in. He knows the mistakes he made against Stipe four years ago in his only UFC title shot. He knows the... You know, the the hit and miss of his initial run in UFC when he came in with big fanfare, walked through Brock Lesnar, and then started kind of getting knocked out by people he shouldn't have in fights where he was up big. You remember Travis Brown fights like that? Well, look, he's, uh, he's reinvented himself a few times, and I really like this version of who he is right now, Luke. He can still be the destroyer if he needs to be, the demolition man, whatever you want to call him, and he can put you away with knees just like he did back in the day. But he's so much of a smarter fighter now, a calculated fighter. I absolutely loved what he did in this five-round fight, knowing Sakai had never gone past three, knowing he may have to give up the opening rounds. They were very close. I did have it two to nothing Sakai, but he knew that it was going to change if he could figure out an opening, which he did with his takedowns and his ground game. And you mentioned it, absolutely vicious ground and pound. Luke, I love victories like this. 
because it felt a little bit like natural selection. Sakai was unbeaten in the UFC. He showed us a little flashes of some good stuff. I thought it was a little overrated coming in. He had some split decision wins. Love handles flying all over. Not going to hold that against him. But he's going in the deep end of the pool. And Overeem dragged him there. And it wasn't pretty. And it hurt getting there. And he gutted out a damn win. Yes. Get him right up into another big fight. He told me before this fight he's one or two wins at most away from a title shot. You could certainly argue against that given the names hovering around the situation, which includes John Jones' parachuting in. But God damn it. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that, Luke. I don't even say that word in my house. This felt good. Never been an Overeem super fan, but love and respect how he gutted this thing out. And he had to... Um, finish Sakai this wasn't the ref jumping in too early he had to beat beat the uh beat the youth out of him beat the life out of him and this is what you have to do at this level and it was hard not to come out of that uh happy to see the veteran pull that off you know Overeem's resume which we'll talk about the implications of in just a second but if you just look at it it's filled with plenty of blemishes double digit losses I I suspect if he fought for a, a little bit longer he might even reach 20 losses he'd probably reach a lot more wins but I'm just saying you know, he has been through the ringer on this one, and he has had a lot of setbacks. There's a lot of guys he beat up front that when he had rematches with, he lost and he lost badly, like Sergey Karatanov. It's a thing that's happened to him kind of over and over again. And so I, I, it's funny, like, how has he managed this much success? He just refuses to quit. He continues to just press forward. But the reason why you can press forward is not just sheer force of will. It's reinvention. It is constant reinvention. Here is the point about Overeem. For a long time, he was a big, heavy, striking kind of inside fighter, both in kickboxing and to an extent in MMA. And now he is so much more than that. He can fight on the outside. He does have a good clinch when you need it, especially as you saw in this fight from a defensive standpoint. He would just kind of let Sakai, not let him, but he was not doing a whole lot early to disrupt what Sakai was doing in the clinch, and he just kind of rolled with it there. It was a very comfortable space for him. And then eventually, as you noted, he got takedowns. He had good ground and pound. Folks have always told me, I remember my first year ever training, someone told me, like, oh, Alistair Overeem is not a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but he has a black belt guillotine, right? He's always had a ridiculously good guillotine. This guy has a million ways to win. And if you're smart and you're determined like, in the ways that he is, and you have constantly added skills through your 30s and found the right weight class, dude, you can do pretty impressive things. So to me, it's like, listen, you've got Stipe up there, he's got a loss to him. You've got Francis up there, he's got a loss to him. you got Curtis up there, he's got a loss to him. And all three of those guys beat him by way of stoppage. I'm going to be skeptical that he can beat those guys. But in beating Sakai the way that he did, he has earned the right for another step up the ladder. And he's right, if he beats one of those guys... Some kind of rematch with any of those three, depending on how the circumstances shake out, is probably going to be in order. Or he could fight Derek Lewis or who the hell knows. I'm just pointing out, is he, is he, the question was, is he capable of another title run? Not is he going to be the best guy in that division? Yes, of course he is. He is very much alive and well, although he understands and sees the exit door. Now, BC, it gets to the second part of our question. Let's assume he goes in that title run and he finds someone at the top of that division again and he gets another setback. At that point, let's say he calls it a day. These are all a lot of big ifs, but let's posit that. Is he the best fighter to never win a UFC title? 
He's been a, a, a sneaky out in that debate, right? We always talk about that. Dan Henderson has worn that crown for a long time, especially after Bisping finally got it. I know Faber's lingering, but he did win the WEC title. And, you know, we got everybody from Joe Benavides to whoever is your favorite at the moment in that discussion. I always forget to include Overeem in that. But again, go back and look at his freaking resume. Yeah, he's got 16 losses, but he's had 66 pro fights in just about every organization that mattered, won titles with Strikeforce and Dream, fought everybody at Pride, uh, was an absolute warrior, has that whole kickboxing chapter to his career as well. Yeah, he might be there because he has fought everybody. You look, you see a lot of knockout losses. And Luke, you remember a lot of those. They are vicious. I mean, just the uh, Rosenstruck and the Nganu losses together are two of the most brutal we've seen in this modern era. But it's not just his ability to reinvent himself. It's almost a freak-like ability to come back from those type of losses, not have them ruin his career. He doesn't get complacent. He's loving his new run right now with Team Elevation in Denver. Couldn't stop putting them over in terms of the, uh, the, the youth he's feeling in there, learning new skills, rounding out his game. He might be in contention there. Uh, Dan Henderson won a Strikeforce title as well, never got to the top at UFC. I think I'd put him right behind Hendo, Luke. Yeah, he's either there. I mean, there's a lot of interesting names you could put on that list. You will Romero's on that list. I'd put Joseph Benavidez on that list. There's a few you could certainly point to. I would say in terms of heavyweights, he is easily the best heavyweight to never wear uh, a UFC crown, at least to this point, which is kind of interesting, right? He's beaten five different UFC heavyweight champs. And if you count Vitor Belfort, a light heavyweight champ, as well, So he has six wins over UFC champions. Now, not when they were champions, obviously, but at a, a certain points in his career. To me, it tells me a couple of things. One, he is certainly on par with those guys in terms of a talent level. Two, we kind of fetishize a little bit, like having the UFC title, like it's this be-all, end-all demarcation of greatness. And it certainly is an important marker of success, but it's not the only one. Remember, this guy was a dream, strike force, and K1 champion simultaneously. Do I weigh that more than just grabbing a UFC interim heavyweight title or even winning it and then losing it right back to back? Yeah, I guess I'll say it out loud. I kind of do. And plus, he was a strike force champion. Granted, there was a bit of an absentee moment there, but he was a strike force champion when strike force had a very good heavyweight division. So to me, like and lacks these- drug testing, Luke, and lacks drug testing. I, I mean, these things are so ridiculous. These arguments are so ridiculous to me. People were trying to give this to me on on uh, Saturday night when I said, Not "Well, they, they, people just can't decide what their arguments are anymore, right?" So the argument is, "Oh, Usada's here. Everyone's going to have to get off stuff, and you're going to watch their performance decline." Oh, we know Overeem's been on stuff. Let's watch his performance decline, and it didn't. Oh, uh, I had someone t- tweet me saying he's been taking HGH. For all this time, well, which is it, folks? Does it confer lasting benefit to the kind where you can be just as good or irrelevant as you ever have been? Or is it the case where once you get off of it, there is a precipitous decline and change in everything else in body composition? You have to decide how much it matters and how, what is the time horizon. And the amount of confused arguments that people send me about this, they don't even realize all that right, they're so right. We don't have to go down the are, road. Okay, all right. I'm just pointing out, I don't give a fuck about that stuff because right, I don't Dick think Pound, it matters at all. We don't have to all. go down there, Luke Fauci, okay? We can make I, a I, joke and move on, all right? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, what he was able to accomplish at that stage, to me, is pretty impressive across two sports. Plus, if you look at how he was fighting at that K1 time, I alluded to it previously, it was a lot of like hardcore inside fighting, and now he's doing something totally different. And so my only point being is, I put him on par with with some of the best top 10 heavyweights 
uh, in, maybe inside the top 10 uh, of all time. I don't want to say that if he never wins the title, we can't count that against him. You kind of have to, but you cannot lose sight of all of the other accolades, BC, he's put together that to me mean just as much, and in some cases, a little bit more. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Two quick points on him. Uh, I thought it was interesting that he told me his best win, the win that he covets the most, was the Brock Lesnar win. Now, I get it from a fanfare sense, right? Him stepping up to that UFC level was a big deal, but that was a somewhat diminished Brock. He had already been knocked out and lost the title. And uh, the second thing, Luke, let's not forget how close he did come. I mean, even outside of the Stipe Tap joke, he he knocked Miocic down and, and had him on Queer Street, if you will. And I know you will, Luke. So uh, he was already that close. He's still a threat. I think he's a better fighter now than he even was four years ago. So um, he's, you know, in a better spot to expose people like Sakai. Can he get over the top against the very super elite? That kind of remains to be seen. You nailed Derek Lewis as a potential right opponent for his next fight, considering he's lost to everybody else. But you saw Twitter's reaction Saturday night. How about Overeem's former teammate, John Jones? How about that fight? How about that as a proper introduction to the heavyweight division? I love it. I love that one, too. Let me just add one more thing. We have sort of maligned heavyweight for a long time in MMA as like sort of the the poor man's division, the sick man of MMA, in saying that all the other divisions were much, much better. And I, I think now, you know, Overeem had a long time at light heavyweight. Now, he's been in heavyweight for a good long while at this point, but he certainly had some success and started his career out at light heavyweight. And, you know, we've seen a couple other guys go from light heavyweight to heavyweight and not have quite the success that we thought. I'm not here to declare that like everything we thought about heavyweight was wrong, but I do think we probably want to amend the idea that it's some kind of really behind the times, behind the curve kind of division. It's not, For all the reasons that we mentioned, the best athletes, certainly in this country, get recruited for NBA or NFL or something along those lines when they're that size. And I think that still holds true. But I also think that the we, we went too far, BC, in overselling just how bad it was. It's actually well, a pretty powerful Tim division. Sylvia? You blame Tim Sylvia for that? Another guy who like had size and will and made something of it. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what to say about that. There was a time when you know when Sylvia was beating the Gan McGee's of the world, it wasn't necessarily the best division. It probably deserved some some slander. But it's I mean it's so different now. And last thing I'll say about this, this is why I think where you and I come down on Overeem. You and I are both I think of the position where I'm not sure his ceiling has changed. But this idea that the bottom has dropped out just because he's aged and had a few losses, that is so not true. He is very, very capable of beating anybody in that division on the right night. And so I'm curious to see what he can do with it. Uh, One more note, BC, back to you. Michelle Pereira had a nice win. (laughs) Slapping donks out there. I wouldn't call it a Stockton slap. I'm not sure where. Maybe it's the Sao Paulo slap. I'm not sure where he's from in Brazil. But this was a guy who you absolutely detested. And now... You've, you've come around to my way of thinking on this. What happened, well, DC? I, I haven't fully reached around, if you will, Luke, but I will say I was very <laughs> impressed. 
Uh, look, it was the last fight of his USC deal, so there was pressure on him to put away what had gone wrong the last two fights, right? He, he gassed out against Tristan Connolly, and then he had that weird DQ loss to Diego Sanchez in which he was winning. You know my issues. He's a damn circus clown because he was doing a lot of those theatrics not in the mindset of trying to win. Even before this fight started, dude, he did like break into electric boogaloo for five minutes during his ring intro. Like... That's gas you're going to need now to his credit. And he did sort of shout it out afterwards, like, if you could only see how hard I trained. Luke, he was in sick shape for this fight. I mean, he is a freaking, uh, I mean, a machine physically. And he did have the stamina to go three hard rounds in there against a tough out. And he made it look like he was fighting an amateur. I'm going to give him a lot of credit. Save for that second round where he had that two-minute stretch of just knucklehead, capoeira kicks, showtime kicks, uh, flipping off the ceiling for, you know, it, it was video game fighting. It was, it was button mashing time. Outside of that, I saw a guy who actually could become a legit title contender because of just the out, outlandish athleticism, great timing, um, okay, the slaps, okay, the trash talking. Secretly, I do love that stuff. But again, if you're angling that toward winning, right? When Nate Diaz double flips off Cerrone, it's to get in his head. If you're angling that stuff toward winning the fight, I'm going to back you. And this was a much-needed performance, and this was even better than I thought he could have done, Luke. I mean, he absolutely dominated that Russian fella. Imadayev, yes, I'm very, very glad to hear that you agreed you were wrong before. Okay, we move on to point number two. Oh, hold on, hold on. Don't, don't move on. I don't care that Jay's in his turbine engine all upset that No Escape never got a record deal. Uh, Luke, do you see title contender in that body? Okay, it is a wonderland. Contender, right? yes. Title winner, he doesn't have enough discipline the way he fights to win. But he might be the best athlete in all of UFC. But do like, you back he, DC that, that he's got he's to clean it up a little bit? He, but, yes, but he won't. And we know that he won't. So there's no point in, like, he is good enough on the right night to beat a ranked guy. But I don't know he's good enough to put a bunch of ranked wins together in a disciplined kind of campaign to claim a Well, title. I want you to put him on the couch right now. Because Amanda Hibas, for example, his Brazilian countrywoman, she's out of control in interviews. But in the cage, man, she puts that crowd together and goes in there to take you out. What's going on in that Brosef's brain? That's what I can't really figure out. A question for a different time. All right, point two. How about Brock this Lesner, time? You ain't got no jobs, bro. <laughs> point number two, Jay. You are free to go to the next slide. Brock Lesnar teasing a comeback, or at least reports that he is a free agent anyway. Uh, Nick Diaz and his manager outright teasing some kind of a comeback in 2021 in the welterweight division. So much so, putting out a video where like he had practiced a weight cut and looked to be in fantastic shape. All right, BC, we go back to you. Flat out. Do we care about Brock Lesnar and or Nick Diaz in MMA in 2020? We do. Stop acting like there's any chance we don't. Do we care about them in any form of legitimate fight? No. That's the key distinction. And when this Brock Lesnar WWE free agent news came out, you know, was I playing the clickbait game to a degree? Yes. I also think it's an interesting conversation. I wrote the damn story. I put out the podcast with Rashad Evans where we went for 45 minutes saying, what fights make sense? Business-wise, what do you think? Could he go to Bellator MMA and have a Fedor-like run? Yes, all of the above if he wants to. That's what we don't really know. Yes, he's 43, but we know heavyweights age late. He doesn't have a ton of damage on him. 
yeah, he'd have to sit out six months for USADA and prove that that 2016 win over Mark Hunt can be done without uh, horse steroids pumped into your uh, into your testicles before the fight. But Luke, overall, when when somebody matters this much on a business level, yeah, of course it matters. Um, if he came in and was John Jones's introduction to heavyweight, it's a massive pay per view whether they did it in 2012 or they do it in 2021. And stop acting like it isn't. And look, I, again, he doesn't comment publicly, Brock. He doesn't go social media. He works out on a damn farm uh, in Canada somewhere. He don't care about your, uh, your, your handle or your followers. I don't know if he actually wants to fight. But could you imagine as Scott Coker, Bellator MMA CEO, tweeted out or, or told Ariel or whatever, imagine him going to Bellator for stupid money and fighting freaking Brock. I mean, I, I'm fighting Fedor, excuse me, in, in fun circus fights. There are so many fun circus fights. How about Anderson Silva against him? That'd be a fun circus fight. I'd love to do that kind of crap. I don't want Brock against DC for the belt like they were trying to do a couple years ago when it made no sense on 86 levels. But yes, we should care. He's the rare celebrity fighter who matters because he can actually compete in the right matchup. Nick Diaz is a little bit different. Look, all the public stuff we've seen, Luke, and I'll throw it back at you. I'm a little bit nervous physically and mentally where he's at. And I know... We've said that his whole career, but obviously this window with this much time off, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, if you're telling me he's going to go in there for one more fight and it'll be some fun BMF thing, okay, cool. But I'm a little bit nervous about his well-being. Yeah, no one has a... It's funny. When Brock Lesnar takes time off and comes back, fans are very quick to point out what I would call very fair and relevant factors of his reemergence. You know, he's not been doing full-on MMA training during this time. He beat Mark Hunt, but there was a USADA violation. Before that, you know, he had bad losses, as you indicated, to, let's say, Alistair Overeem, but there's some other ones as well. You know, they sort of point out the things that you are allowed to say as fair, legitimate, noteworthy criticisms. And then when you ask them, well, what about Nick Diaz coming back? The fan base gets collective amnesia about all the different factors that might make you want to put a bit of a limit on your expectations for him. And, and, and not just amnesia about what has happened, but, you know, the sort of romanticism even in the present, like after the BMF fight with Jorge. That was a fight Jorge was winning easily. Like it was there was no controversy there at all. Jorge was clearly better than Nate Diaz, at least on that night. And. That is not the expectation. That is not the, the 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 conclusion you would come away with. The Diaz brothers have this ability to hypnotize huge swaths of the fan base, and God bless them. They should be getting paid for it. But to hypnotize them to make them forget about all these other things. This is not George St. Pierre handing back the title so Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks can fight for it, and he can go and train. You know, not like he's in camp, but sort of as a lifestyle take four years off and come back and go up and fight Michael Bisping up at middleweight where, you know, yes, maybe he even had an injury during that time, but he was basically still incredibly active and only walked away because he was burned out with the rigors of being a champion. Nick Diaz, if you had been paying attention to his social media at all, was not doing anything like them. That's changed more recently, but this guy was in Vegas night after night after night after night. And I'm here to begrudge him that. That's the way he wanted to spend his life. It's the way he wanted to spend his life. But you should manage your expectations about what he can reasonably do when he comes back. This idea that he's going to like jump to the front of the pack and beat elite welterweights, I, that seems to me incredibly foolish. Uh, yeah, hasn't competed. I mean, his last, his last big win 
where you could look back and be like, wow, that's really impressive. What was it, BJ Penn? And that yes. was when BJ Penn, beating him mattered, but that's my point. It was when beating him mattered. I do too. think, to answer the question, BC, very quickly, and I'll throw it back. Yes, clearly there is going to be a market for Lesnar and Diaz. I would just argue, one, probably not what it once was, although still big, especially with the UFC needing to fill out as many events as possible to make sure they get this ESPN money. And then two, it's going to be highly, highly opponent-dependent on what kind of real interest the fan base is going to have because despite the amnesia that some might have about the Diaz brothers, I think even they realize some of these make a little bit more sense than others. Hey, remember when uh, Hoist Gracie came back against Matt Hughes? You know, so many years removed, like generations removed in terms of the evolution of the sport. I'm not saying Nick is facing that, but I'm saying I would bet my money more on that we have one more Nick Diaz appearance, and maybe it goes maybe not as disastrously as Hoist did, where uh, Matt Hughes just sat on him and, and punched him out like it was uh, Brock Lesnar against that Asian guy in M1 or whatever. But uh, you know, I, I feel like we're going to see him one more time, and that's it. So if you want to cash him out against you know BMF style, that's great. But I think he's more on the competitive level potentially of a Clay Guida or Diego Sanchez right now, and I just don't think he's stable. Yeah, I'd care. Of course we would, but you know he's not going to come back and reinvent the wheel. Too many years, too much uh, damage and stuff. But I just want to double down and say people got to stop acting like they wouldn't care about Brock. Like it's not CM Punk here, right? There is yeah. an avenue to victory for a freak athlete who's still you know, showing on TV that he's a freak athlete. I know it's pro wrestling, but like there are fun matchups you could potentially make. And I almost wish uh, the stars would align and he could end up in Bellator and could go the more, you know, circus old guy fun route. I think there's so many fun things you can do there, but you know, we'll see what happens. Even then he beats Fedor. Would you hate to see a Brock Lesnar versus Ryan Bader fight? I wouldn't. I'd be kind of interested in that. Yeah, you can almost talk yourself into believing, especially with the potential of lax drug testing, that he has a chance in that, Luke. Uh, All right, we we go from one Diaz brother to the next. There are some reports. Now, nothing is confirmed, but here for point three, Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz are apparently looking to run back a fight from UFC 244, of course, when they first fought for the original BMF title. Now, again, there are some... Uh, uh, you know, some caveats we should put on this. Again, nothing official, nothing signed. We don't know when, blah, blah, blah. But this is the idea. They want to go back and do again what they had at UFC 244, which you might recall, BC ended a little bit early by virtue of a cut that the doctor then stopped over there in New York. Maybe you put it in Las Vegas and maybe it gets to keep going, which they might if they end up making it. Okay. BC, is this the the right next move for both Jorge and Nate Diaz? It actually is. It's perfect for both. And there was a weird reaction to it of people going, oh, I guess this means Jorge's, you know, celebrity fighter now, BMF fighter. (laughs) He had his one, you know, time at the throne against uh, going for the title, and now he's cashing himself out. It's not. Look, he took that fight at last minute. I don't love the way he fought against Usman. It is what it is. But this is the right, let's shine him back up. There's an, uh, you know, there's a disconnected storyline there. The real fight fans know exactly what you said, that Masvidal was dominating him. Diaz had some moments in the third round, but the just bleed faction of the world, the casual fan faction, they can go back to that first fight and say, man, if the if the commission and the refs and the doctors didn't take that away from Nate, who knows what that fight looks like. That's not really reality, but that's sellable. And look for Nate. You know, it, 
this and the Connor fight are really his two paydays left in terms of massive paydays, in terms of fights that actually matter. So I think people are wrong on how they view this for Jorge. And I think people are wrong on saying that this fight wouldn't matter. Um, look, how do you sell big pay-per-view numbers? You attract the casuals. The casuals care about two crazy guys going in there and they're just going to freaking fight. They're not going to lay and pray. Yes, there's still a major market for that, okay? That's called the pay-per-view business. So uh, this is perfect for that. It's perfect for BMF. It's just, it's it's very big business. You shine Jorge up. You let him get a full camp against a super elite, you know, hopefully for the title. And we'll see what we have there. But uh, stop complaining about anything connected to this. I'm just a little bit nervous where, as I look at Nick, as I mentioned, I just don't think there's anything left in the tank anymore. For Nate, uh, I'm, I'm having doubts that he can really win a big fight anymore, Luke. I mean, there is scar tissue that I wish you saw. And I feel like that thing, his face just busts open in any fight. Um, you know, that, that first McGregor fight was the mountaintop of his career, and it's been downhill since then. And, you know, I thought maybe a year ago, two years ago, there was still life for him to be a major pay-per-view brand and even a quasi-title contender. But I think he's drifting away into full-on celebrity fighter, and I, I wonder how many more times Nate will even want to do this. This argument that Jorge is like, oh, he, what is he, some kind of celebrity fighter now? He doesn't want to take on the blah-blah-blah challenges of the world? Who are these fucking people? I mean, do you understand at all what you're watching ever at any point in the last one year, five year, 10 years, 15, 20? I mean, what an absurd argument this is. I cannot believe that anyone would make this with a straight face. Let me see if I can understand this. You have an opponent who I, we just recalled has a fan base that has collective amnesia about all of their shortcomings every time they fight, which is great for you and great for them because it gives you all kinds of fresh life out there for the right kinds of circumstances, which this is. So number one, you have that. Number two, again, I thought Jorge was winning that one walking away, but at the same time, it did not end under what we would call the most ideal or clean circumstances. There is, in that case, unfinished business. Three, you're both coming off of losses. So getting right it makes sense. You already kind of beat this guy. You didn't really beat him, but you kind of beat him already. You must love your chances. And by the way, you fight this guy, you're going to make a fuck ton of money. Add to that, BC, that part of what goes into matchmaking is lobbying. Lobbying is a key part of how fights get made. If you are Jorge Masvidal and you fight Leon Edwards versus being Jorge Masvidal and you fight... Nate Diaz, one, you have a much tougher fight in Leon, and two, as it relates to the lobbying part, you're going to have a lot fewer microphones that you have to answer to or cameras to be in front of or whatever, even during a pandemic. If you fight Nate, so many people are going to want to hear what you have to say. And if you are steady beating the drum as you lead up to the, the, the weeks and days before fighting Nate, saying, if I win this, I want a title shot. If I win this, I want a title shot. If I win this, and whatever the messaging is around title contention, you are much more likely to get it than just beating somebody that no one even... Does anyone except hardcores remember three-piece in a soda? That is not why Jorge Masvidal is famous to the casuals. It's a big deal inside the bubble. It means zero outside the bubble. This is the only call for Jorge Masvidal to make. And it's a great call for Nate, too, in the sense that... You get a chance at redemption. Who knows how the second one could go. Again, I thought he lost it, but that doesn't mean he'll lose the second one necessarily. And again, you're going to have a partner in this equation who's going to make you a crap ton of money. It is absolutely the right call for both fighters. If you are managing 
either of these guys and you say to them, you should get the winner of Colby and Tyron or Leon Edwards, that is fucking malpractice. People, wake up. This is not a hard call to make. Luke, it's promotional malpractice. T-shirts yes. and sweatshirts still available at LukeThomas.com. Thank you. It certainly Thank is. You. I just can't believe it that this is even in, like remotely debatable. This is the What's easiest What's a more unbelievable MMA conspiracy theory that uh, Nate was coming on in that BMF fight or that producer Jay actually dropped Uriah Hall with a spinning kick during, uh, during uh, uh, Jujutes practice that time? Remember that Look, story Jay told us? MMA is unpredictable and wild enough that you can never be like, oh, he's got no chance. Never make that mistake. You will end up eating it eventually when you do. He's talking about Jay. Jay has no chance. Jay Jay is drying his balls at a public restroom's hand dryer. What I'm pointing out is the the argument that Nate was coming on in the third round, it's just amnesia and delusion from a fan base that really likes their fighters, and that's fine, but that doesn't mean we have to honor it with some kind of, you know, truth uh veracity or something like that it's jay can you come in for one second i got a really important question that the fans want to know yes jay were were there groupies in your short-lived boy band no escape like middle Uh, school define define groupies yeah you guys blowing each other doesn't count (laughs) no wow look it's 2020 friends can do what they want to each other please yeah you know i'm i'm a firm believer that uh 15 gets you 20 so uh yeah all right, thank you. Jay's thank like, you if we much. blow each other after the show, I guess we can count each other as fans. Okay, wow, speaking of fans, how's that, that turbine engine treating you, Jay? All right, back to the and show. Then, and then some poor much. kid has to go to the manager at Starbucks and be like, there's three guys blowing each other in the uh, in the, <laughs> in the deuce bathroom. All right, with that in mind, with that in mind, we go to uh, our next topic, uh, Jay. Uh... <laughs> All right. You know, this is a, this is actually a bit of a weirder one, BC, because it cuts across both of our lives in different ways. Jamal Herring, who could not brand himself more with the Marine Corps if it was a contest, uh, Jamel, defended too. his. They call him Jamel, just so you know. Jamel, sorry, I keep calling him Jamal because that's just the bad habit that I have. He defended his WBO Junior lightweight title. But when I say defended, BC, it's not quite right, is it? Because he was winning against Jonathan Okendo. But then he got headbutted in the fifth, and then by the end of the eighth, or so, so, excuse me, sometime during the eighth round, I think it was the end of the eighth, the, rep, the, the, the ringside physician was examining him, and he was like, I can't clear you if you can't see, and he says, I can't see, and so they waived the fight. So he wins via disqualification, but Andre Ward and Timothy Bradley let him have it. Twitter let him have it. Social media in general let him have it. So the question is this, straight up. Did he quit? Yeah, yeah, he quit. And I know that uh, you hate... I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be watching this and being like, you know, who's this, uh, you know, honky clown that's never been in the ring? No, but it's my job to talk about this stuff. And um, I don't have anything bad to say about Jamel Herring. But I also believe, like, when did boxing, uh, you know, become so soft? Whereas... As much as there was like this initial backlash after the fight of did Herring quit, there was like a double down in response to that of maybe Tim Bradley and Andre Ward should apologize. Don't they understand that Herring's a Marine? He's got two kids with special needs. He's coming off of two COVID battles and he took this fight and blah, blah, blah. 
um, that's irrelevant to the situation. Jamel Herring's a, a salt of the earth. One of the best interviews, uh, tough as balls, fighter, semper fi. There's no such thing as a former ex-Marine, whatever you want to say. But how this whole thing went down was wonky. Uh, I even think Tony Weeks ruling the headbutt that caused the cut on Jamel Herring as, uh, what was the word he used, Luke? Uh, Per, did, he, he did, essentially did it on purpose. What was the use, the word they used? Oh, intentional disqualification intentional. or intentional uh, foul, yeah. Look, I, I thought that was wonky as well. So here's the deal on this. Okendo was 37. He'd been through the wars. He'd, this was his moment. This was his last chance. This was a title fight against a guy who was taller, longer, quicker, and maybe even more powerful than him in Herring. We've seen this a million times, folks. The less skilled guy sometimes says, look, my only chance is to get inside and rough up. So I'm going to lead with my head a bit. I'm still going to throw punches. But to call this intentional... I saw everybody on Twitter going, they should throw this fight off. This guy's obviously leading with his head. Victor Ortiz, when he got deep when, in the Floyd Mayweather fight, he was leading with his head, right? He jumped in and tried to spear him as a way out. This was no different than Tim Bradley's career, Evander Holyfield's career, even Bernard Hopkins at times. Was it on the side of dirty in terms of clean and dirty? Yes. But everything Tim Bradley said and Andre Ward was 100% spot on. Hearing was uncomfortable almost this entire fight, except for the knockdown. And the whole narrative they were selling was that this was supposed to be a tune-up fight, a stay-busy-look-great fight to bang the drum for that Carl Frampton title fight that we're setting up before the end of 2020. And under that setting... I'm sorry, Herring didn't look that good. And yes, it looked like he wanted out in that situation. I think he benefited from Weeks calling it intentional, which changes the rules a bit and could lead to what we saw, which was a DQ ending. I don't think Okendo was over the line trying to be dirty. I think he was edging that line. And there's a long history in boxing of when that happens. And just like Andre Ward said, there are some things you can do when that happens. One, Make him not do that by the way that you box and use your jab, something Herring wasn't doing. Two, follow him back. Look, there's a game within the game in all sports. I play old guy pickup basketball. I almost get in, in fist fights all the time. Why? Because it gets chippy sometimes. Some guy's pulling down the back of your jersey. He's elbowing you, whatever. Sometimes you got to follow back to gain back respect. And I'm not here to, to necessarily dog on Herring for not doing that. But I'm also saying what Ward and Bradley said was spot on. He responded not well to this from a fighter perspective. Uh, does he have a history where you can't question it? Well, no, nobody does. You're only as good as your last fight. In this moment, he didn't do well. And the way this fight ended when he went back to the eighth round, as I'm sorry, Okendo was coming on those final two rounds. He said, Doc, Doc, I can't see. I don't know what was going on. There's blood dripping in his eye. I'm sure there was pain and in, in, in all that. I'm sure it was a very uncomfortable but what Ward and Bradley said, not what Campbell said, what Ward and Bradley said was spot on. We've seen true champions fight through that so many different times. He had blood dripping down, but the eye wasn't swollen. It wasn't shut. And he kind of, in some ways, asked out by saying, I can't see. Now, I did think the ring doctor was very overwhelmed. I didn't even think he properly inspected it. He just heard, I can't see, and he, he waved it off. And also, if you really read the letter of the ruling on the unified rules, which was in play because this was a title fight, that fight should not have been a DQ. It actually should have gone to the cards, 
And if Herring would have won, it would have been a technical decision win. And if he would have lost, it would have been a technical draw. That's the ruling because of the intentional headbutt. Again, I don't think it was intentional. You can take points away from him all you want and warn him. You can disqualify him as the ref. But to nail this as intentional so early that Weeks did, I feel like it gave Herring an out. And I felt like he took that out. Now, it was un- it was an unfortunate situation, Luke, that he went to the hospital and he was sitting there looking at Twitter and everyone's calling him a quitter and Joe Blow in the basement is calling him a quitter and it seemed to get to him and he was contemplating retirement. I didn't like any of that stuff too. I love me some Jamel Herring. But good God, we Ward and Bradley apologized? No, they were right. It is what it is. There's a game within the game and he lost that game. He may have won the fight, but he lost that game, Luke. If you're going to don everywhere you go as part of your identity, the Eagle Globe and Anchor, okay, you have earned that right because you had served and you had had it pinned on you and it is part of something that has a dramatic effect on your life. As someone who's had the exact same thing, I understand the impulse. And the good side of getting that Eagle Globe and Anchor pinned on you is that people will give you a little bit of an early leash they'll say oh he must be upstanding he must be tough or whatever the circumstances call for to be high character the other part of that equation though is if you are going to use that as a shield they're going to have high expectations as well and you cannot use it to hide not suggesting that he has been but for people who might be a little bit um questioning whether or not you can criticize somebody who has done so much and been through so much uh because he has done something so noble Uh, if you're going to have that as part of your identity, then you have to make sure you understand you're going to be measured against the greatness of the Eagle Globe and Anchor. And clearly he fell short. Look, here is what it means to serve for folks who may not understand. It doesn't mean you're an angel and it doesn't mean you're Mr. Perfect and it doesn't mean you're never weak. It just means when the moment calls upon you to act in the noblest and most difficult of circumstances, you do. If he is not able to do that in a boxing fight that goes his way, it's not some betrayal uh, from him against the Marine Corps. That, that's not what it is. It just tells you the reason I think he went to retirement in his mind, BC, is because I don't know exactly how much he really, really wants it. Right? If you have been trained to give your all, and he has in many ways, if you've been trained, not forget about the military side, just the professional athletic side, to, to really impose your will and not listen to the voices of doubt and pain and suffering and the things that want to drag you down. If you've been accustomed to pushing those away, you're going to get pretty good at it. If you give into it in a certain moment, yes, I think he had a moment of weakness there. I don't think that that makes him a bad person. I don't even think it makes him a bad boxer. I don't even think that means that they shouldn't make necessarily the Carl Frampton fight. What I think it tells you is for a guy whose whole life is built around noble character and the perseverance through difficult circumstances for him to relent like that in the way that he did and again i agree okendo was not being disciplined with his head placement and that couldn't have been easy and he was skirting the line he was doing it in a way that is going to make the referee's job difficult but when herring was presented an opportunity to walk away from a difficult circumstance and get the better of it he did that tells me that I don't know how strongly he really wants to be doing this, given what it requires Agreed. anymore. If he really did, I think he's got everything in here to do that. I just really wonder if that's exactly what he wants. And it's a function of not ability, it's a function of desire. And when the desire goes away, that will affect the ability 
to bring those character, that high character ability that he has in, in, into, into display. So that's Everyone why he said. went to retirement in my mind because the, he's got some bigger oh. questions he has to ask himself here. Jay wants me to get off of this, but I think it's important. Like, I also think it's important if if somebody quit and, and, and our job is to report, I don't care that what's my fighting record. Like, get out of here. It is what yeah. it is at the end of the day. And look, by the way, I know Andre Ward, the official scorer for ESPN, had it essentially four rounds to four, which seemed generous for Okendo and obviously minus the two points, one for the knockdown loss and one for the, uh, the headbutt. Um, I thought, you know, you had to give at least two, maybe three of those rounds to a kendo. And we've been talking about bad judging lately. The scorecards came out eight to zero for Herring on two cards, seven to one on the third. I don't know how you can say that those last two rounds. You know, Kendo yeah. finally was getting inside and landing as Herring was backpedaling. Look, not a great night at the office. Not going to hang him over the coals, but it is what it is. Rake him over the coals. All right. Last but not least, I'll, 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 I'll hang your ass, Luke. All right? Because uh, uh, you hate white people. Uh, no, I think they're just fine, but uh, it is rake them over the coals. All right, last but not least, we go to our weekend preview, BC. A lot to get to here on the Bellator and UFC side. UFC, we'll start with very quickly. We've got, uh, let's see, we've got Angela Hill, first black woman, by the way, to ever headline a UFC card. That's kind of interesting. Taking on Michelle Waterson in a main event that was not necessarily supposed to be the main event, but some other fights fell through and they got elevated. What's on the line here, really? To me, this is a highly interesting fight, BC. And the reason why is because Angela Hill and Michelle Waterson share one common trait aside from the weight class itself. Namely, they're both coming off of losses. But that doesn't really tell the story. Angela Hill is coming off of the Claudia Gedalia loss, a fight I thought she won. And if she had won that, I think it would be four in a row for her. She has never looked better in her career. She's never had more confidence. She has an unending gas tank. She has really turned into a well-rounded talent. She has come into her own in the last year, year and a half or so. And it's been amazing to watch. And she's had a little bit of time off since that last fight. And this is her chance to get back into that winner's circle that she should have still been in, in my view, uh, after her last contest. So her stock is going this way, despite coming off the loss. Michelle Waterson, on the other hand, coming off of two losses in a row, neither of them where she looked particularly great. She had a win in 2019 over Karolina Kovalkiewicz. But to me, this was a person who had a lot of promise. Now, granted, she's a natural kind of atom weight, or at least she was for a time, maybe not anymore. But she was repped by WME. She was sort of seen as somebody in that, that same kind of vein as like Holly Holm and other fighters the UFC could build up to really do special things. And she's had a good career, to be clear. But I don't know if she's ever going to fulfill that potential. She's not getting any younger. I love this contest. I favor Hell to win it because you've got two people going in opposite directions for very surprising and unexpected ways. Yeah, Waterson's the old name uh, A-side or, or B-side, depending on where you want to go at this point, to hold the main event up. I love this fight. Look, this fight, wasn't, wasn't it supposed to be Maheta and Grover, Luke? Yeah. Was that, was that, that was and the And Grover, right? yes. Elmo was uh, going to be cor cornering him, yes. Thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we have to delay and wait for that. Uh, there were people going, you know, what the hell's going on here? Is this UFC's worst main event? Well, no, this is better than Calvillo. I, I even almost like this better than Overeem Sakai on paper. And I know that's because women's strawweight always delivers. I like to see what this fight could look like over five rounds. And for all those things you mentioned, it did seem like when Watterson lost to Ioana a couple years back that that was it in terms of is she ever going to be a legitimate title contender? She poured it out. She wasn't good enough in that moment. Still the name still can make fun fights. I think the storyline surrounds whether Hill can win this. 
and uh, turn it around from being that busy journey woman to somebody who's figured out how great she can be in her 30s here. By the way, she's also very good on camera as an analyst, uh, Angela Hill, in that first uh, option that ESPN gave her. So that was good to see as well. So a uh, little bit of somebody who looks like they're coming against somebody they're going. It's at 115. I got a big smile on my face. This is this is good. Card not good around it. This fight, good. I like it. Uh, we go to Bellator, which has not one but two cards over the weekend. Bellator 245, Bellator 246. Both of these, of course, will be the Mohegan Sun Arena. BC, a lot of different moving parts here. Leslie Smith is at 245, the, the card, not the weight, obviously. Ed Ruth is at middleweight on this card, which is kind of interesting. Raymond Daniels, the famous kickboxer. And Kat Zingano is on that card. Phil Davis versus Leona uh, Machida, too. On 245, what's your favorite fight on there? Uh, Gorilla is coming out there, right? No, that's 246. 246. We'll get to that in a second. But of the ones I just Um, mentioned... You know, look, I like Machida D- Davis, too. I'm in on that. I'm, I'm down with that. That's my kind of cup of tea here after their, their first fight, uh, which was back in, like, 2013. So I'm into here. Austin Vanderford, by the way, Luke, the guy with the worst tattoo of all time, pulled out of this card with COVID. And uh, he also gave it to his wife, PVZ. So pour one out. Pour a little bit of my hemp-infused seltzer, Kalo, out to the, uh, the Vanderfords over that one, Luke. All right. But uh, yeah, look, I like I like both of these cards. You know, do I want Bellator to make these one spectacular card rather than two consecutive nights? I've argued that in the past, but I like this Machida Davis fight just as much as I like the Saturday night main event for the for the uh, vacant title. Uh, I don't know how much I love the idea of Ed Ruth at middleweight. I don't know what the circumstances are that put him there. And again, sometimes folks be like, oh, this claim you're making is not true. No, it's very true. Ask anybody who specializes in NCAA wrestling. Ed Ruth is one of the top 10 wrestlers, irrespective of weight class, in collegiate wrestling ever. That is how good Whoa. he was. An unbelievably good wrestler, but he had a... a Who are you going to put him up there with? Huh? Dan Gable? Who are you going to put him in Dan that Gable, category? Dan Gable, you know, Dan Gable, yes, he would be considered one of the top Hale 10 Sanderson? of all time. Kale Sanderson? Kale Sanderson time. Kyle Dake would be another one. Uh, John Nickel? Smith would be another one. Hold on. Let me get this point out. All I'm pointing out is he had a, he's a couple of losses, one to Neiman Gracie in a fantastic fight, still relatively early in his career. And then he had a setback in his last contest against Yaroslav Amosov. And folks don't know that name for some reason. I don't know what Bellator's doing with him. He is an amazing welterweight talent. He's undefeated, and he beat Ed Ruth. And I'm thinking to myself, why, why would he not be promoted? He was on the prelims, I think, of the last card he was on. So I don't know what's going on with that, but just suffice to say... I want to see Ed Ruth maximize his potential. I don't know that it's at middleweight, but I'm curious about that. So, BC, you brought it up. 246 will be the next night. You've got Juan Archuleta for the bantamweight title against Patchy Mix. I, Great easily, fight. easily the best fire of the weekend, irrespective of organization, number one. You got John Fitch against Neiman Gracie. That's a fun fight. Liz Carmouche against Deanna Bennett. She's making her Bellator debut at women's flyweight. And then Derek Campos is on this card as well. Why were you so high on the uh, gorilla fight? No, I, I was just dropping that in. I look, I, I'm down for her and Kat Zingano making their uh, their Bellator debuts here in, in much further apart separate weight classes, one at uh, flyweight, one at featherweight. I did give you a weird face on the Neiman Gracie-John Fitch fight. It has the potential to be interesting, especially if you're a hardcore fan. It also has the potential to look like, uh, uh, you know, Showtime Red Shoe Diaries in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wasn't that But, but back to that, that main event, Luke. Um, look, I'm really excited. Archuleta bangs, but obviously I want to find out how great Patchy Mix can be. He's had spectacular submission victories in Bellator, and it feels like they're matching him quick, but for a reason here. This is a good-ass fight for the vacant feather title, correct? 
I love that. Yes. No, Vacant Bantam. Vacant Bantam. Because it was supposed to be uh, uh, Horaguchi, but that whole thing blew up. So here's what I would say. This is on paper. Now, in the end, we don't know if it's going to deliver. But on paper, this is the best fight of the weekend by a country mile. Juan Archuleta is not a devastating finisher, but he has tons of experience, and he really kind of knows how to manage around to his strengths, which are sort of in-and-out movement, a lot of circling on the outside. Not necessarily the most exciting at all times, but very difficult to beat. Patchy Mix is one of these guys who is just an absolute gator uh, in terms of you know grabbing onto an opponent and holding on with submissions. Unbelievable, full of confidence. He can strike himself, by the way. He's pretty good in that. So you've got this guy who's like all-aggressive, all-finishing, who doesn't have as much experience as the guy who's somewhat of the opposite. Really going to be interesting to see who can impose their will there. I love this fight. I love everything about it. And I sort of can't wait to see it. Uh, so those... Was Gorilla a Marine, Luke? She was. Mm-hmm. Gorilla was oh, a Marine. Right. That's right. All right. All there right. you go. Have you, ever, have you ever talked shop with her? Have you ever dropped a little Semper Fi on top of her? I have. We've done that many times, as a matter of fact. I saw her... Uh, no, I didn't see her in D.C., but the last time I saw her, what was that? I can't remember. But yeah, we talked about it a you... few times. Do you think you could have passed her guard? I think you're weird, and I don't know why you want to join Jay in the Starbucks bathroom, but for that being uh, what it is. Wow, let's Jay's do D- angry. Jay's yeah. pissed off today. Jay is real bitter. Let's do this. Let's do DMs from Donks. Your time to ask us questions. <laughs> he is bitter, by the way. All right, let's yeah. do this. From at James underscore Whitworth. Now the dust has settled on the fight. What do you do next with Marlon Vera? Could you make an Aldo fight, BC, or does he need another win? Uh, look, it's a tight, it's a crowded title picture. He announced himself as legit, obviously, with that win over uh, uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley. You know, the an Aldo fight would be very fun. It would be incredibly entertaining, and it would offer Marlon Vera the opportunity to probably get, you know, arguably even more fame than he did in a pay-per-view co-main event against O'Malley because this is a perfect main event for a fight night. I really like that matchmaking. I probably would, would not have come out of that if you asked me who he should fight next. But whether it be Aldo, Cruz, Faber, what have you, you, you know, Edgar, you've got some old names right now in this division that you can really use to sell, uh, you know, main event slots and get eyes on the TV. And any one of those would be perfect to give Marlon Vera the potential to prove even more that he belongs in that upper ilk with the, you know, the Jans, the, the Sanhagens, the, uh, the Sterlings, all those. Yeah, I don't hate that fight, but the problem is where he's ranked. So he's sitting Marlon at 15, which sounds to me like the people ranking him gave him, like, begrudging respect for beating O'Malley. And 15, then in front of him, you got... 15? He's Bro, 15. he's won yeah. like five out of six. How is he 15? Well, the, the person in front of him at 14 is Song Yudong, who technically beat him, although controversially. Here's the problem that he's facing. You've got Cruz at 11, Stamen at 12, and I think you would agree with this. You've got a very deserving 13 in Marab Dvalishvili or Dvalishvili. He kind of deserves to have an opportunity as well. I mean, Marlon does too. They all kind of do. I'm just saying the idea that, like, do I like a Chito Vera versus Jose Aldo fight? Yes, I do. Can I claim without any debate that that's the most, um, that he's the one that deserves that fight the most? No, no, I can't actually do that. That's the problem. Uh, all right. Okay. From Wait, are, at, do, you, are, do, you, do you have any No, no, we got to move for, along. Um, Jay is going to have a conniption fit. We got to move along. Oh, at wow. Scotty14Y, which fighter's longevity has surprised you based on their fighting style and damage they've taken? Robbie Lawler's got to be one, right? 
Yeah, he he has, and but you can see now that it seems like it's it's past him. And we had that discussion after his loss to Magny, which was lifeless. I mean, Overeem is is hugely in this discussion because of how many knockout losses, and again, the absolute brutality. Uh, Dan Henderson was another one, Luke, where you know he, he lingered in areas where you just didn't think he could still win fights and not, uh, you know, be eating out of a straw, unfortunately. And he was able to do that. Anyone else jumping out to you? I feel like Joanna has that potential on the female side. Yeah, she's one. Um, Anderson Silva is, I mean, I did a thing on Twitter. How many fighters have professional bouts that predate 9-11? Overeem had 10. Lawler had three. Excuse me, Overeem had eight, I think. And then the Spider had 10. Something like that. But, you know, both Overeem and um, Anderson Silva had just a, you know, a double, nearly double digits for both of them. There must be other ones as well. Those are the ones you're like. If you were fighting before 9/11 and you're still fighting, chances I mean, are Shogun. you have you, Shogun's yeah, another you, one. Yeah, Shogun's you can kind of see like uh, they've got something going there. Would you say Shogun's uh, title loss to John was the worst beating someone's taken in a title fight? Like no. sustained one-sided oh, sustained, one-way sustained traffic? beating? No. Uh, David Loazzo's loss to Rich Franklin was worse. Much worse. Ooh, good, good poll there, Luke. I like that. Yep. All right. Yep. All right. From at Cubby's fan eighty. All right, BC. What is your Mount Rushmore of best rap albums of all time? Ooh, I love this. I love this. All right. So, Luke, I have to. I have to simplify this. Are you asking me what I think should be on the Rushmore of the greatest or my personal favorite? I think this argument where like, oh, what is the best is dumb. Just tell me what your favorites are. All right, I'll, how about I split the gap? I'll kind of merge the two together. Uh, my Mount Rushmore of rap albums goes like this. The Low End Theory by The Tribe Called Quest is my favorite of all time, and I think it is 1 million percent in that discussion. Uh, Ready to Die by Biggie, nothing you know, nothing more to say right there. Um, all Eyes on Me by Tupac, I, I hugely stand behind, and I was late in the game really appreciating that double album and, and what it does for me. And with the fourth one, Luke... Um, I mean, I could go a lot of directions. I was never a huge Nas guy, full respect. Never a huge Wu-Tang guy, but full respect out there. Um, can I go paid in full by Eric B. and Rakim? I still yes. bang that thing. I mean, it yes. just, you know, I mean, uh, thinking of a master plan. I mean, I just, I absolutely love that thing, top to bottom, front to back. Shout out, honorable mention, to a 90s rap album. Yes, it came during the, the hugely commercial era where uh, white guys in seventh grade like me are watching UMTV raps, buying the cassettes. But A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing by Black Sheep is a freaking fantastic album. Yeah, it tiptoes into the comedy genre a bit, but it, that thing is of that ilk, and no one ever, ever, ever brings that one up. Uh, I will go, and again, I don't, I don't put this as like, these are the four best. These are just four. These are just ones that I just constantly go back to, constantly go back to. Um, all right, so I will say um, Illmatic, Nas. Yes. Hell yeah. I yeah. will say um, I'll go a little bit different than you, just for the purpose of fun. I will say the Chronic, Dr. Dre. That one had a big impact on my youth. That could be number one on any of any our age, any of us our age. That could be and maybe even should be number one. I mean, seriously, like that was you, re- dude. That had almost a Nirvana type effect on like the people in my life yes. circle. Like it, yeah, exactly. you remember what what music listening was like before and after that that one came out. So that one is big. Again, this is just a personal favorite of mine. I don't expect anyone to agree with this. I'm going to go Purple Haze by Cameron. It's one of my favorite albums. I listen to it front I've, to back. It's I've just so good. I've never heard that one, Luke. 
And then last but not least, I'll do God of the Serengeti, Vinny Paz. Um, again, God, you just, love yourself some Vinny Paz. You he's love fucking, that. Dude, that, that album is a masterpiece. Um, you know, it's a certain kind of rap that you have to like, but that one, how many rap albums have nearly 20 tracks and you can listen to it front to back? I mean, it's almost okay. unheard of, and sure. that's what that album is. It's, it's, it's outrageously good. And um, I just don't feel like it gets the credit it deserves. But, you know, I'll give one. Here was one that was big in my youth because I was big into the whole gangster rap thing. Obviously, white kid, you know. Uh, it's on 187 Killa. The Easy e answer to the chronic is Ooh, just I remember a, that one. Uh, yes. Yes. I mean, even, even down to the last roach, which was the final track on that album, was so... It was just such a good album. Uh, also, yes. East 1999, Bone Thugs and Harmony is another one I just pump constantly. Um, okay. okay. Um, I, I got to throw out Midnight, Midnight Marauders by Tribe. Obviously, it's right in that discussion as well. That thing's uh, still oh, big. And you have to go uh, Aquemini, Outcast is another one that is just outrageously good. Um, do, you, do you stand by, I know it's a little bit more into pop and R&B, but do you stand by the uh, either the Fuji, the score, or the miseducation of Lauren Hill as being in this discussion? I cannot deny how impactful they were. I cannot deny how talented Lauren Hill is, and I won't. I'll just say it didn't speak to me like other works of art at that time spoke to me. Okay. So I cannot okay. trash it, and I won't trash it. It just, I didn't feel the same way about it. You know what still speaks to me? The freaking Cactus album by Third Base. And the day that, uh, that Prime <laughs> Minister goes the nice, Weasel? Yeah, no, that well, that was on uh, the the follow up. But uh, ah. the day that Prime Minister Pete Nice and uh, and and the whole crew followed me on Twitter was was uh, it was one of the biggest days of my life. I'm not kidding. I, I mean, I I was like glowing, Luke. It, it was the time William Zabka, right, the bad guy from Karate Kid, when he followed, followed me on Twitter. Now that was a life changing moment. Uh, how about Black Sunday by Cypress Hill? That's another one you could put up there. Black Sunday was an incredible. You know, Cock the Hammer was just, I mean, I played that one on rotation. Uh, but all right, we got to move along. From at T.Elliot BC, if Luke and Brian had to escape from no escape, what would they do to distract Jay? Jay, are you still bitter at us or can we answer this question? Yeah, Jay, what the hell's wrong with you today? Jay, do you have a date after this? Why are you trying to get us out of here? No, 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 uh, no date. Uh, they spelled no escape wrong. There's an X in there. It's, it's no X cape. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah. Did you go Who's to that, a was that, a, was that your idea? Whose idea was that? Uh, hmm. I don't think I don't think I can take the credit for that. Did you have uh, your own Lou Permlin that was sleeping with you? We did. We did. We we did. His name was uh, uh, Ron Johnson from Philadelphia. Of he course, was our, of course. He was our Lou Perlman. <laughs> That's obviously would, a fake name, by the way. But of course, it was Ron Johnson. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He would take money from us like every couple of weeks, uh, you know, in exchange for uh, some musical services that I still don't know what they are. Musical Luke, services, not no the services was you guys big like on to talk the, about. On the bat mitzvah circuit, Luke, they were they were killing it. They were slaying. All right. You know, I I wish I could laugh, but uh, we weren't big on any circuit. We didn't even. That's how that's how low we were in the totem pole. We didn't even make the bat mitzvah circuit. Although it was probably good money in that. Probably no, no Hava Nagila covers, anything like that? <laughs> uh, no, although it would have been quite appropriate uh, given the uh, ethnicity of most of our members. Yeah, look, look come on. You know, we respect, respect the tribe here, Luke, okay? Please. I am, I am. I'm, just, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 whenever, I've been to bar mitzvahs. I've never been to a bat mitzvah, but uh, just the same. same thing. All right. More girls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, you know what? You know what would distract Jay? Um, I don't know if you, Luke, if you were on the uh, the Jamal Charlo conference call a, a couple weeks back to uh, promote not. the September 26th pay per view. In his damn dining room, he had a uh, uh, the Back to the Future card. Jay's boner. He, that's uh, Delorean. Uh, Delorean DMC 12. Yeah, he did. And and the interesting part is, I I had seen a video prior a few years ago with him, like with that some like music video he made of himself, which was really weird. And didn't realize that he actually had like a, like a little, actual full size car ornament, uh, that just lives in his dining room full time. Um, it's over under Luke on if Jay asked Jamal Charlo if he's seen uh, Jay's documentary back in time. Uh, I'll take the over. I, I don't know. I don't know what the odds are, but I'll take the over. Thank you. Thank you. I actually, I actually think he hasn't seen it, so I refuse to ask because if he hasn't seen either that or Back to the Future and has the car, it would just be. Um, Bad. All right. All right. Bad. Uh, to Thank you, Jack. Thank you, this is coming to a screeching halt, so let's move it along. To answer the question, BC, this is very easy. What would I do to distract Jay? I would just put up a mirror. He oh, can wow. look into it, wow. and as he just begins to admire himself, I'll just be on my way. The man does have a quest for fame, and I give him, you know, I applaud that. All right. One day. One day. All right. One all day. right. Last but not least, from Anvik. Settle the debate, BC. <laughs> what is this show? What are we doing with our lives? I cannot believe I quit my other job for this. All right. Standing versus sitting to clean your rear end. Also, any accoutrement, such as Whoever bidets, stands to wipe above age four, Luke? Uh, your boy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Oh yes. I I feel like I feel like it's the best way to get fully clean. Oh, and yes, get out of here. this is the worst. This is the worst thing that ever happened to our show. And, you are so gross. And uh, yes, your boy keeps the wet wipes on hand for all occasions. I got some in the car. I got some in my backpack. I got some in the bathroom. Wet for, wipes for, are to, a. I didn't use to, wet wipes till I got to the Marine Corps, and we we'd be in the field so long you'd have to shower with wait. them because you be, go you go weeks or months without without a shower. And I was like, wow, these wet wipes are pretty handy. And now I keep wet wipes wherever I go. Love them. So, like, for what, though? Like, to clean the, like, if you got swamp ass? But, or well, are you, talking you know, like so you might like walking around with an itchy rear end. I like being pristine clean down there. And so I like to make sure I get the job done very effectively. God, Jay, where are you? Where we need you, Jay, please. Seriously. Uh, shout out yeah, to I know. This is, uh, this is a much better question than the last one. I see we've really gone, uh, gone I have never upwards. used a bidet, Luke. I've had uh, hotel rooms with them. I've never, I don't really like things. Uh, yeah, you get, you get where I'm going with that. Uh, have yeah. you ever used one, Luke? One time and didn't like it. Okay, okay. Wow, that's, you know, it's rare when I'm, yeah, yeah, okay. Thank you. That's it. That's it. Well, you know what? That's the best question to lead us into our next segment where I'm sure we're going to watch people drink out of bidets or something. Take it away, BC. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's what we do, Luke. We scour the globe for the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, in combat sports and beyond. It is Have You Seen This Shit? Luke, we always start out professional with real fights. Did you see on the top rank undercard over the weekend, heavyweight prospect Jared Big Baby Anderson stopping Rodney Hernandez, but watch the celebration as he improves to 6-0 and with six KOs. You like this, Luke? Kick, kick the tires on him a little bit? No, no, that's what the dog does after he takes a dump. <laughs> uh, how many fighters do we need named Big Baby, by the way? You know, 
I mean, yeah. On, right? Uh, you can only be named Big Baby if you're willing to take horse steroids. All right, there it is. Uh, shout out to Jared Anderson with the stoppage there. Let's move on. I don't know the names of these fighters, but I'm sure Chatri will tell us that they've been uh, the most watched fight in Asian history. One championship. We got a Mohawk down. Mohawk down, Luke. Wow. Good Lord. Mannequin them. Oh, yeah, this, sure. the, by the way, fun fact, BC, this fight was watched by 30 billion people. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much there. Uh, yeah, wow. Uh, you've been sent to hell, Mohawk friend. Wow, okay. Here, let's go on, Luke. Um, you know, people still clamor for the Just Bleed days of open weight MMA. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> Look at <laughs> Louis Anderson is having a tough time catching up with, uh, with Boom Kelleher there. What are we doing here? And why are people up against the fence? Dude, it legit looks like he's trying to eat him. Yeah, uh, I can't see this fight lasting more than 10 seconds, Luke. All right, you know what I'm saying? It was this like... dude, after he was interviewed, was he like, Chiwaka Tunaka Soro? <laughs> yeah, it does look like uh, like uh, the beginning of uh, Return of the Jedi when Luke Skywalker was trapped against that Rancor. Uh, yeah, 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 this is what that looks like. Leia's got to come through... out and choke this dude with the chains. Yeah, he's not making 275 for Dana. But there's a reason why we don't do um, open weight mismanaged fat guy fights. Can we move on, Jay? And uh, this is the reason, Luke, because the little people tend to get their soul crushed. Check out Biggins here. Uh, wow. Yikes. Yeah. Is that Conan Silviera? Wow. All yeah. right. That's Yep, that's a KO, Luke. That is. Okay. All you know right. what? But big, big boy here is reasonably talented. You think so? I don't know about this. Uh, I mean, yeah, a little bit. You know what he probably knows about the biggie bag at Wendy's, the best on you know the best kept secret in all of fast food. Look, you ever rock out that? I've never even heard of that. What is that? All right, here's the quick, quick, quick deal on this. Um, uh, you know, I have a fast food fix like anybody else. If you go to Wendy's and order like a, a hungry man's meal, you're going to spend like eleven bucks. It is what it is in 2020, right? If you're like, let me get like the the classic single, the fries. Let me get a sixer of nuggets. Let me get a drink. But if you read the menu in the bottom right corner, very small print, they they change it every week. The biggie bag for five dollars plus tax, you get like chicken sandwich, uh, fries, chicken nuggets, and a large drink. Like, and then sometimes it'll be like cheeseburger. It's like five different things, Luke, for like five bucks. It's a it's an absolute killer deal. All right, where you where are fat- you? Where are you on the? Do you put fries in the frosty or not? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't get the Frosty, though, because it's annoying. Because you can't drive, and I want to consume this as I'm moving, right? Fries and the Frosty is what people do before jo- joining Nazi sympathizing groups. So just want to tell you what trajectory you you're on. You stand and use, like, a baby wipe to caress your, your, uh, your uh, yeah, all right. If, you had, yeah, if you had explosive diarrhea as much as I did, you'd understand that necessity. <laughs> Wow. Hey, we had a good run with this show, Luke. Sorry. Sorry we signed you to CBS. Uh, Luke, you a big tennis fan by any chance? U.S. Open as a pop. Yeah, a little bit. A right? little bit. A little bit. Number one in the world, Novak Djokovic was Bach. DQ'd for, uh, <laughs> what is that, Luke, for accidentally dropping this lady? What happened uh, here? Uh, for Not just a lady. That's a line judge, number one. And number two, you're not, like, even if it's accidental, they're, they're treated with such like reverence and gloves off kind of thing or, or you know gloves on i suspect is better but 
you know, yeah, dude. And hit her. You can't quite tell from this, but after it was over, she was like grabbing her throat like she got hit in the throat with this thing. Dude, she took a worse fall. Remember when Rodman kicked that camera guy and then he pretended like he couldn't walk and he and he sued him for millions? Remember yeah. that in 96? Yeah. This yeah. is this all over again. So I don't know if you saw, but tennis fans were so angry that they sent this lady death threats and they like were mocking her dead son. Like it got ugly, but how the hell is this a DQ, Luke? It wasn't on purpose. Come on. Bro, tennis is, I mean, here's what I've noticed. Look at their sponsors. You've got Chase Manhattan. The uh, the net is sponsored by Rolex. you got a real airline there. Dude, this is like high society shit. If you have corn nuts, you know, and Monster Energy and uh, man, yeah, not, well, you know, like Condom Depot kind of stuff, then you can get away with flagrant, you know, misbehavior. But if you're going to be sponsored by Rolex, you kind of got to be uptight. Dynamic fasteners on line one. Luke, who was your um your nineties tennis female crush? Everybody had one, right? Ooh. I mean besides besides the, the queen, besides uh, you know, besides the Um who was the girl with the big forehead who kind of washed out? Uh, I'm saying besides Kornikova, besides the, the goddess, the greatest. No, it wasn't Kornikova, it was another one. It was a it was a it was a brown hair girl. You big Hingis? Martina Hingis, yeah, I think that was her name, yeah. She okay. was kind of more my, my, my speed. But, you know, kind of man, crush, man Crush, it's got to be Pete Sampras, right? Uh, he's a hairy dude. He did. He, you know, he was. Yeah, all right. Enough, enough. He, did, he banged Veronica Vaughn from Billy Madison. Shout out to that. Hey, let's move on here, Luke, before Jay quits the show. Uh, this Week in Drunk People, Luke. Check out this keg stand. What are you, how are you going to score this keg stand on a 10-9 must uh, system scale here, Luke? Let's see. This guy, Johnny B. Good. He's doing well so far. Doing well. He made the landing. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Luke! Oh no! <laughs> stop it, Frank! You can stop it any time. Wow, Luke! What happened here? That's like one of those delayed things where the ref didn't step in because they couldn't quite tell he was done, and then yeah. by the time they did, yeah. it was too late. You know? Oh God! And then Hendo's landing one more punch on Bisping. Yeah. All right. Let's move on here. I've been trying to track this video down for a while. This is great. Uh, when I jump from the roof to a motorhome roof, Luke, you got to be careful. <laughs> She got real cocky. Wow. Yeah. That is, uh, whoo. She, ju- she lands think, on one. I oh, think I can see her man. insides. Wow. Yeah. And, the, okay. and then the, the, the roof is all wet. Bach. Yeah, but you know what? Uh, she landed, she landed just fine on the ground. Where is the, look, you've been to like these, these public parking lot shit show drunk fests, right? Yeah. Like Let's see. Based on the something. way she's dressed, I'm going to say, this is not the South. Although it might really? be. Yeah. You know right. what? Let me take that back. This is like Mississippi or Louisiana more than it's the like old, more than old Alabama Mariana. or Georgia, you know? Yeah. Hey, here's the drunk MVP of the week here, Luke. Uh, give me a shot of whiskey. Uh, would you like it in your mouth? No, I'll take it uh, right up the nose. Luke, how bad does this hurt? Oh, God. What does that feel like, Luke? I don't know, but now I'm curious. Would you do that on camera for us here at MK? I don't, I don't, I'd have to talk to my medical doctor first because my nose doesn't work, as you know. But oh, God, that's got to hurt. Give me, the, I, give me the COVID test where they scrape bro, the brain stem before I do every that. Every time right? we do one of these drinking highlights, they're always white. Have you noticed that? Well, every yeah, time. Yeah, 
White people take big chances in life, Luke. Apparently, all right. They they use their (laughs) they use their privilege for the wrong reasons. Apparently, Luke. I don't know. You know. By by the way, people think you hate white people, Luke. I'm just telling you what the people of our show say. Let's move on here. Um. Yeah. Well, these are also uh, people who are joining uh, Boogaloo boy groups. But okay. Luke, on the left is unbeaten UFC welterweight Kamzat Chimaev. And yeah. on the right is Gustafson, <laughs> the heavyweight, drops him with a body shot. I know what happens in sparring stays in sparring, but look, he's out here dropping heavies, bro. Is that to the balls? No, that, I think that's to the to the breadbasket, right? Uh, is that, to, that, that looks to me like it's, hold on. I think he dropped him, I think. Oh, he might have, he might have. It's hard to tell. Well, yeah, but dude, in sparring, this is not uncommon. It's not, I've seen, I can't tell you how many guys I've seen high level get dropped by lower weight class guys. And then it comes fight night and you don't see any of that shit. Like it doesn't mean okay. that much. All right. All right. That's how, this is how the sausage gets made. Uh, this might be legal, but here's what's not legal. Luke fame MMA seven in Poland over the weekend. Check out my man, Amadeus Ferrari Roslick on the God left. God oh, damn. God, that they, he was disqualified, obviously, because he came out here like he was, uh, like he was Matt Barr going for a 29-yard field goal here to win the 1990 NFC Championship. Oh my God, uh, sending Adrian Polanski to hell. Apparently, Luke, this was only recently outlawed in Poland, and that's why he screwed up and did it. What the hell's going on in that country? Oh, the Polish don't fuck around, man. Jesus Christ. First of all, that's a great punch to drop him. But then he's like, you know, let me just kill him. You know, let me just, you want to see a dead body? Wow. Boom. And just punts this dude the other way. That is, I love the ads on their chest. That's always oh, high class. God. That is great. Uh, Luke, you do know what the greatest strike in MMA history is, right? WEC 2010. The oh, Showtime Anthony kick, right? Pettis, yeah, running off the fence. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, I know he lost that fight. People forget. And I know this wasn't actually a knockout. This was no, the no, fifth Pettis round. No, no, Pettis won this fight. Pettis won this fight. Oh, he. I thought Hendo won this fight. I don't think so. Pretty sure Pettis won it. No, Henderson won this fight, bro. I'm, Let me double check that. I'm pretty sure he won it. This was Go ahead. One of, this what's, was, your, what's, your, what's your point? This is the greatest fight in WEC history. Great fight. Great moment. Uh, people for years trying to recreate this, but they just can't do it right here, Luke. I don't know if you saw on Saturday your guy, the uh, the flying circus clown, uh, Michel Padeda, tried this on uh, Imadayev. Eh, eh, mm. not, not so well, Luke. Um, maybe he should take a – one more time on that. Yeah, okay. Maybe he should take a cue from random brother in the uh, in the living room. Check out this kid. He's got a future in MMA, Luke. Look, Spider-Man out here climbing the walls. Bah! Oh, God! <laughs> bah! Here's the, here's the thing, Luke. That's only the second best Showtime kick of the week. Check out this goat. No, not, not John Jones, not Anderson Silva, an actual goat. Send this owner bah. to hell, Luke! Yes, dude. That sheep was like, fuck your life, son. Oh, oh, oh wow. Yes. That's uh, by the, the kind way, of stuff we're here for. I'm yes, by the way, this. Anthony Pettis did win that fight. Are you sure? Did I forget history there? All right. You forgot history. Yep. Okay. Sorry about that, Luke. All right. Uh, Luke, uh, you know our friend in uh, Italy, the Greek god of thunder and graphics, uh, Christos Christophorus. This week in Web Scream, he was so touched by... Remember we asked you to name your favorite celebrity deaths and you didn't name any celebrities last week? So yeah. he has hit you up with uh, with this, Luke. Can we advance it, Jay? 
R.I.P. to uh, pour a Kalo out for Carl Sagan here, Luke. Okay. <laughs> that is hilarious. for folks who yeah, it's Carl Sagan from he was the original host of Cosmos before uh, the uh, the guy who hosts it now, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's funny. I could see you sporting that here in like ten years, Luke. That could actually be you, right? Turtle turtleneck, you know, the whole bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down with that. All right. Uh, hey, Luke, here's the thing, though. If you're going to hire Spider-Man for your daughter's birthday party, uh, you better get insurance if this guy thinks he's an athlete. Watch this. He's putting on a show for the kids. Grandma's there, right? Abulea's there. And then... <laughs> I don't think that was part of the program, Luke. Uh... <laughs> and the dad's Everybody not even be... sure he's okay. He's like, hey, man, is this part of the actor? Yeah. Anybody got any smelling salts? Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. I, I, I love this bit because he he goes from shadow boxing badly to bad capoeira <laughs> to bad gymnastics. It's basically, he's the Michelle Pineda of, of uh, childhood parties here, Luke. Can you just get the drunken clown like everybody else had growing up? All right. Oh. Let's move on. Hey, Luke, we have so many Australian fans. I love and respect these blokes, and they are filling my DMs with some thunder from down under. It's rugby league time. Chad Townsend is about to send Kalen Ponga to the depths of Hades, Luke. Good Lord. Yeah, good, good thing he's wearing a, uh, a uh, supermarket bag on his head. That'll really protect his <laughs> head there. Uh, shout out to Rugby League. I don't know what the difference between regular rugby and rugby league is. I'm sure I'll get 86 DMs explaining uh, it. But Rugby uh, League, Rugby Union. These guys don't wear pads. They don't have soles. This is great. Uh, let's move on to Aussie Rules Football. Jack Viney in a knee to the face here. I like some AFL. These guys, uh, I, I, can, I know the rules. I can get down with this. Watched a lot of this growing up on ESPN2, Luke. Watch this guy take a flying knee right to the dome. Look at Ben Askren. Wow. Oh, God. Woo. And these haircuts. My Lord. Yeah. Wow. All right, Luke. We're closing down here. This is one of the best HYSTSs of all time. This has become the most requested clip in Have You Seen This Shit History. I had to start deleting messages because people wanted it so badly. I don't know who this guy is, but Luke, that's the greatest KO of all time. Luke. Did he, did he flip him off? He did! He did the Diaz, and then he ended the fight! Fuck you, bro. Bok. Oh, my... Look, that's that's perfection! That's some video game shit! That's the greatest thing I've ever seen! That is amazing. Who is this guy? I don't know. I gotta find out. I gotta... Legitimately was sent this 200 times. Like, it was out of control. Uh, shout out to our people there. Uh, Luke, we love our viewers. We got a guy named John Littleton at Littleton underscore John on Instagram. Um, he sent this in on his vacation in Bala, <laughs> North Wales. He's hanging out with the guy on the right, the Iron Man Craig Pearl, doing some MK tip-to-tip -tip action, Luke. Your thoughts? Is this no escape? Uh, <laughs> I love the, uh, the, the S-eating grin on Littleton's face there in the pink on the left. Um, what do you think happened after the camera guy... Uh, Turned it off, Luke. What oh, the, uh, they had yeah. themselves a party. <laughs> or, or no escape concert. Really the same thing. But uh, yeah. shout out to our people. Uh, Luke, we close with this. You know amateur wrestling a lot more than me. You just called Bo Nickel the top 10 uh, wrestler of all time. This not, move not, is apparently not what I called, did, but okay. 
the salami smash, Luke. <laughs> Do you get a point for this? What? <laughs> 69 dudes what are we doing here luke uh, when that dude got off the mat i'd be like dude i would have ordered you a roast beef sandwich but uh looks to me like you're good wow tip to lip tip on lip there luke that is not dude, I, that, that is why... something that is something that when that dude gets off the mat if everyone doesn't have a joke it's like hey man do you want to go to subway and get a five dollar foot law oh no you're you're good you're good you're good i forgot about that freshman my only experience with amateur wrestling freshman year of high school and gym class luke i wrestled with dave Pereira for like three minutes and then coach harrison blew the whistle and he's like what are you guys trying to have sex and i was like i'm never doing this again okay like I, this is not for me i'm sorry look all right all right i, I, cover, I mean any I, any combative sport like this it's going to happen you know, I could tell you a bunch of different stories. This one was a little bit different, but like I remember the first time another dude's sweat fell in my mouth. That was fun. Oh, that was a that was God. a very gross day. Oh, dude, that's that's second base where I come from, Luke. At least, <laughs> wow. All right. No, I thought I thought in your world that's when you spit in another person's mouth. That's a little bit different. All right, so that's it, Luke. You've seen it. That's great. Uh, this is a great show today, despite you and Jay, Jay trying to uh, get us out of here. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right, so it's time now for odds and ends. BC, what do you got for us for odds and ends? All right, we talked about um, what has just been some bad boxing judging lately, and I think every time we talk about that, Luke, we usually talk about, you know, was the boxing judging bad because the house fighter was set up to win, right? Was there some impropriety here? I don't know if you saw your Dennis Ugas over the weekend. He went for a secondary WBA welterweight title against a huge underdog in Abel Ramos, PBC on Fox. Fantastic performance from Ugas. Look, CompuBox doesn't always tell the story, Luke, but he landed double the punches of Ramos, more jabs, more power punches, everything for a better uh, percentage. Again, double the punches. Marcos Viejas, the PBC on Fox scorer, unofficial, who does a great job, had it 12 to nothing, Ugas. I had it 9 to 3. The judges, Luke... 7-5 Ugas, 7-5 Ugas, and then 76-year-old Dr. Lumaret, an all-time great referee and judge, 117-111 for Ramos. A split decision went Luke. Uh, look, I thought Ugas beat Sean Porter. I'm not going to call it a robbery. It was a close fight, but I thought he won that. They almost straight up robbed this man in a way that would not have made any sense toward a conspiracy theory. When you came out here and did your ageism thing and said, I don't care if uh, BC's buddy down the road has 86 title fights in his career. If he's 70-something and his scores suck, get him out of there. Luke, I'm not here to tell you Dr. Lou Moret is too old, but that's one of the worst scorecards I have ever seen. This was a one-sided, not particularly exciting fight. Wasn't a great fight on paper. Ugas stood in front of him right in the pocket and just showed you why he's one of the best welterweights in the world. And he had to bite his nails to get out of there. What the hell is going on, Luke? Uh, again, people don't want to admit it, but the idea that tenure is equivalent to ability as a judge or officiant in sports is simply not true. The correlation is totally overstated and we need to have a understanding that at some point if you've been doing it long enough there's a decent to even good chance you're not that good at it anymore it's not that you Look, just get Ramos better. landed two punches of note both times he wobbled Ugas you want to give him both those rounds you want to give him one more for for charity that's fine Lou Marek gave the guy nine rounds what yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a crime it's a crime 
Like, when MMA fans are like, oh, close fight's a robbery, it's like, no, it's just a close fight. This wasn't a close fight, really. It wasn't... How do you, how do you have nine rounds for the wrong guy? Um, there's only one or two explanations. Oh, three. You're blind, you're corrupt, or you don't know what you're doing anymore. Take your pick. That's that's the only this ain't corrupt. answer you can come to. I'll tell you what, this ain't corrupt, right? If Ugas won a fight he shouldn't have, you'd be like, okay, the house fighter won. Somebody mailed in a loaded check to the judge. This this ain't that, Luke. I don't even know right. how the other two judges had it 7-5. Get the hell out of here. I understand. I understand. Uh, all right, with that in mind, time for my odds and ends. So if you saw the UFC event over the weekend, you might have noted that there were not that many fights, only seven of them. There haven't been that few on a UFC card since 2005, when Diego Sanchez beat Nick Diaz. By the way, maybe Diego Sanchez's best performance. He shredded the guard of Nick Diaz like it wasn't even a contest. Um, but okay, we go back to Saturday. What the hell happened? Basically, during the course of the week, even before that, and then just an hour or two before the fights even, it seemed like, a bunch of fighters fell out with COVID. Now, not all of them got it. Uh, in the case of Ricky Simone, his cornerman got it, but out of an abundance of, of caution, they just pulled him off of it. Some of these got moved to down the road, blah, blah, blah. But it only ended up with seven. Now, I've, I've seen folks asking, what the hell is going on? How is it possible you can only have seven? Well, here's, I would say, the good news. The good news is at least they got screened before they even got a chance to fight and, th- and this thing spread on fight night. That would be a disaster. We don't have to worry about that, it seems like. And you guys know I've been the guy I've been like, yo, we need to take extra precautions. But even I would caution strongly here about what is actually happening. I'm not calling the tests bad or good. I'm simply saying there is a decent to real possibility here that a lot of this, some of it, a key portion, I don't know, could be false positives, false negatives one way or the other. Testing is a... it's imprecise in many ways depending on the kind of test you get it could be a quality issue um if the ufc can do anything in terms of excuse me establishing a bubble in las vegas which i'm told they're not really doing with some of these hotels that could solve some of the problem so what i would say is before anyone jumps to this conclusion like oh my god how much is going on yes the ufc could be talking to us with much more transparency about what they're doing and not doing but even I would caution strongly about reaching a clear conclusion when we know there are a lot of variables that go into the accuracy of testing both before and after, either with a positive or a negative. So, so pump the brakes on that a little bit until we can get more information. But I would call upon the UFC to explain how is it possible you can have 12, 13 fights and you end up with seven. Is there something you could be doing differently? The answer is probably yes in that regard. But what exactly? Yeah, I, mean- I don't know. We've heard Dana say they're going to build hotels next to the PI. It's it's not a bad idea, Luke, right? You got a no, fight it's coming not, up? I, I, you... Yeah, I said this before. I'm not opposed to the fighter hotel in, in any respect. It just shreds arguments about how much money you have, right? But is it a good idea on its own? It might actually be. It might actually be a great idea, to be quite honest with you, because you're losing Luke, all this you... inventory. Very true. You and I, uh, hum, uh, two questions. One, how much sex do you think is being had in the NBA bubble in Orlando right now? Oof. Well, I've seen family members starting to show up. So if you count that plus, you know, the random visitors who might be finding their way in there, probably the, a lot. The, the groupies, the ring yeah. rats. Uh, number two, uh, you and I are going to be spending basically a week in the Mohegan bubble ahead of the Charlo double pay-per-view. Uh, I am so excited about that. What are we, what are we going to do together, Luke? We can call Jay and we can, you know, (laughs) 
we can re- reconstitute no escape. Do they have alcohol in that bubble? I'll do some drunken no escape yeah. karaoke. Honestly, guys, Jay, right? do you know the Jay, you've been in the bubble. Are we gonna have access to like the gym or the bar or both? Um I have not been in the bubble. Jay, we can't hear you. I have uh, I have not entered the bubble uh yet. Uh, I just know of those who have been in the bubble. Um food is a plenty. The gym might be an issue. I know the fighters only get an hour a day. I don't know if it's uh, open publicly. Luke, that's why Benavides didn't make weight. He didn't have as much access to the sauna. He says so. Uh, yeah. You're gonna be you're gonna be very thick on camera, Luke. But um, uh, we do have many big surprises that week. If if people want to call that our launch week, MK Daily, that'll yeah. be it. We got many surprises, and uh, it hasn't been formally announced yet. But you and I, we're gonna play a pretty big role on pay per view night. So I'm super um, excited about that. I'm so excited about that. So uh, you know. We might be um, judging some fights if this keeps up, maybe, you know? I might have that? to. I might have to show these dumbasses how it's done. But, you know, it's a discussion for a different time. Uh, okay. Well, let's remind folks, BC, if you want to uh, get more of MK and why wouldn't you, you can give the video a thumbs up. You can hit that subscribe button. You can go to the Showtime store. You can go to store.show.com. You can get all that wonderful morning combat gear that's available for everybody. And, by the way, high-quality gear at that Showtime does nothing low-quality. So there's that. If you like and to try Showtime, also, if you're on the fence about Showtime, Luke, I've been I got the Showtime app on my Apple TV. There's some badass documentaries on there. I watched the so Jeff many. Beck one, the Suge Knight one, talking. You know, he's drunk, he's throwing up on the side of the road, talking about Tupac being dead. Uh, have you watched the uh, the Rick Rubin one, the Shangri La music documentary series? No, it's fantastic. I'm not. look. I'm here to pump some be some showtime. Oh, and check out our out, outcry interviews if you have if you haven't. By the way, uh, yeah, Greg Kelly and also uh, the fine director there. Well, what's that guy's name? I forgot. Right. I've forgotten. By the way, if you want to see them with a show we did with Scott Coker and Mauro Ronaldo, the uh, Morning Combat Strike Force Classics, all of those are on the Showtime Anytime app as well. So you can go to Showtime.com, try it free for thirty days. If you like it, keep it. If not, pound sand. But we are on there. I, I checked that out. BC, you think my dad has the Showtime Anytime app? What do you think? Yeah, he's he's probably old school enough. He probably has all those type of old school channels like that. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't know. Who do you think's uh, on the Showtime Mount Rushmore? This is the Mount Rushmore of Showtime. I got Floyd Mayweather, uh, Emmanuel, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, she she was Luke. She was. She really was. Okay. I'm just gonna leave. I'm gonna stop it right there. All right. Mike Tyson, yeah, we'll, right? He had a good run. Yeah. Yeah. We'll leave that up yeah. to somebody else who is uh, more capable of answering that. Uh, okay. We still have more content coming your way this week. I'll have my dissected up this week. It'll be fun. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so live much chat? for watching. You got a live chat for people, Luke? I do have a live chat. I, we're going to move that. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to do that, but it's going to move. But for now, I'll keep it on Fridays. Um, but it yeah, got, your yeah. live chat got a little spicy. I was like uh, putting the popcorn in last week, uh, talking about uh, you're giving career advice. You're sending other people in the business to hell. It was it was it was rich. I loved it. You know, people ask questions, I answer them for the most part. Um, okay, so there you are. We are on social media. You can follow us all there on Instagram and on Twitter. And of course, oh by the way, we have a Twitter now for Morning Combat at Morning Combat. We should add that. So yeah, you can just yeah, definitely. Go there now. It's just. Yeah, we're we're loading up. Look, when we when we um, I was about to say something gross by accident. When we when we come, when we knock on the door, like I, I think you hear us knocking. I think we're coming in. We're going to overwhelm you with content once this thing gets gets full on. Okay, all right, all right, like, very good. Like we like we will be 
your your main squeeze in the combat game. You you know all those other you don't need them. You don't need them anymore. Okay. All right. Well, with that Let's in mind. Down. Yes. With that in Look, mind. Where are you going? Look, I got nowhere to go right now, bro. Stay. Yes, stay well, with I, me here. Believe it or not, I have things I have to do related to this job. So how about that? All right. With that in mind, for Brian Campbell, I am Luke Thomas. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thanks to Showtime and Molka and everybody else involved, CBS Sports as well. We will see you next week. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.